This is Anthony in Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. Welcome back to another episode of In the Arena. I'm Anthony Anarino, and this week we have a new sponsor, the Task Group, Smart Sales Transformation. And I'm thrilled to have Donald Daly and the Task Group as a sponsor for In the Arena. I'm very, very much in love with the work that they do because Donald is smart and thoughtful, and he creates useful products that will absolutely deliver for you. He will help you increase the velocity of your sales. And what we mean by that is you're going to find more deals. You're going to increase your win rates. The deal values will increase while the the sales cycles shorten. And that's a big promise. But I've seen Donal's tools. I've worked with some of them. I've had the privilege of looking at some of these before they've been released to the public and as they've been released to the public. And I'll, I'll just talk for one minute about a couple of them. Sales Performance Manager allows you to look at all of the opportunities in your pipeline by rep, by region, by product, whatever you want to set it up to do. And you can look at those and find any deals that look like they're in trouble based on a number of factors that give you real insight to what needs to change. And this is the most important thing. You need to know where you need to take action before you need to take action, before it's too late. And Sales Performance Manager does that. DealMaker Smart Opportunity Manager is, uh, allows you to look at the power structure, something I'm very big on, and understand how you coach deals, how you get to a deal. It helps you manage opportunities. There's Smart Account Manager, and we'll embed a link in the show notes for you about an account management planning tool that you can download from the task group. There's a number of other tools like DealMaker Align and Smart Sales Playbook and a political map. All of these tools are super useful. They're embedded in salesforce.com. And these are some of the very highest caliber, highest quality products on the market. I love what the task group does. I love what uh, Donald Daly does. And if you don't know him, you should go out and follow him. We'll put a link here for you to follow him on Twitter and also get you to the task group. So welcome the task group as our new sponsor on In the Arena. And now we're going to get into today's interview with my friend Stu Heineke. And Stu is an interesting guy. He just wrote a book. I was interviewed for the book along with almost everyone I know. And it's about how to get a meeting with anyone. That's the title of the book. And Stu is interesting for one reason. He's sort of one of us without being one of us. Professionally, He's a cartoonist, and the first time I saw him was a cartoon that he drew for the Wall Street Journal, but then later he sent me a cartoon, and it immediately got my attention. We're going to talk about the creative process. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about how do you get a meeting with anyone. So without any further ado, Stu Heineke, how to get a meeting with anyone in the arena. Hey, Stu, how are you? I'm great, Anthony. Good to see you. And where are you? I'm in Whidbey, I'm Whidbey Island, just a little bit north of uh, of Seattle. Beautiful place. Man, <laughs> it's, 
It's uh, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. In the background, which no one can see on a podcast, I see all of Seattle through your massive office window. Yeah, well, that's a fake office window. <laughs> it looks really nice. A little video set. And but no, it's beautiful here. It's just gorgeous. I want to uh, I want to talk to you about your book, which we'll talk about in a minute. But before we do, I want to introduce people listening to this to who you are and what you do. So talk about your background and what you do as a profession. Sure. Well, I've got kind of this crazy combination of professions going. Uh, I'm a cartoonist. My cartoons appear in the in the Wall Street Journal. Um, but I've been using cartoons my whole career as a marketer. And that's where my education actually lies, is in marketing. Um, and in fact, I'm a DMA Hall of Fame nominated marketer. So I, I used, I've been using cartoons in direct marketing a lot of my career to break through to people, get people to just stop what they're doing, take notice, and, and respond to these things that we send. And what's really interesting is that cartoons, God, cartoons turn out to be probably one of the most effective involvement and engagement devices in existence. So when they show up in the mail, people will pull them out of the stack of mail. They'll still clip them out. They'll... I had an interview earlier this week and someone said, you know, I got this mailing from Scientific American about 20 years ago, and it had this cartoon of some scientists looking out the window at this big radio tele telescope dish, and they're saying, well, so far our search for intelligent life has turned up a couple of false alarms and someone named you know, uh, Anthony Iannarino from, from Ohio, for example. Anyway, he gave his name and his, his city. And I said, well, stop. That, that, was my, that was my mailing. I did that one for Scientific American all those years ago. Yeah. And you still remember it. You got it and you, you framed the thing and put it up on your wall. So, um, so I've, I've been coming at marketing in a very different way. Well, in parallel to that, and to get my, that career started, because what, what I ended up doing was, working for all the big magazines in the, in the country, uh, creating direct mail for them in that, in that way. But in order to get a hold of them, uh, you know, I, I was going to have to reach about 24 or so VPs and directors of circulation at these big publishing houses in Manhattan. These weren't going to be easy people to reach. And I, I, so I thought, well, okay, whatever, I'm still going to have to do this. I, I, and I had just, um, I just had two very, successful tests, one for Rolling Stone and the other one for Bon Appetit. So I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send a print of, of, of a cartoon personalized. Each, each, each cartoon is, is personalized in the caption. And they're always, all of mine are written so that we, we have a, a, a space for the first and last name. So I, you know, I sent them a print of a cartoon about them and a letter saying, this is the device I just used to, to create a, uh, Two campaigns, one for Rolling Stone, one for Bon Appetit. Both of them beat controls. And this is the kind of thing that we're gonna, we need to put this to test for your for your titles. And Anthony, I spent about $100 on that campaign. And it ended up, well, it launched my business. I got through to all of them. All of them became clients. And we're talking about clients like Time Inc. and um, Condé Nast and the Wall Street Journal. All of them became clients. And it was from that one little campaign I did, from, it cost me 100 bucks. That's, that was my first experience with contact marketing. And that's why we're talking today, because we've got a book coming out about it. And um, Yeah, so that, that's... And we're talking because <laughs> I know you, and you interviewed me for the book, and we met at Dreamforce a couple of years ago. and We did. And uh, now we know each other. Yes. So I, I, I want to get to the book, but I want to 
I want to push that off for a little while because the sure. part, the the thing that you do that's interesting to me is you've taken something and you've turned it into something else. But I want to go to the core of what you do. And I, I want to talk about that for a few minutes because um, I think that the cartoon that you sent me is a picture of a, a bar, a, a line graph going up. And it says this would look really good in, in Anthony and Arena's office. So that's the part where you could insert somebody else's name going, hey, exactly. this guy likes sales and numbers. He's in the improvement business. So this would be something that would be compelling to that individual. When did you start drawing cartoons? Well, gosh, you know, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was drawing on desks. And I don't know why I didn't use paper back then, but <laughs> I was drawing on the desks. There's a lot of my work left behind somewhere. In, in the wooden desk. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I just, I've always been, well, here's, okay, here's where it really started, Anthony. My, and I, I'm sure I, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I share this experience with many um, men about my age that um, my brothers and I used to sneak Playboys out of my father's dresser drawers when we were kids. And, we, I, you know, we were looking at the pictures, obviously, but we were also, I mean, we weren't the kind of guys who who read the articles. <laughs> but, but the thing is, I, you know, I saw the cartoons, too, by Gahan Wilson and Elton Bedini and others, and I thought, well, first of all, who are these guys? And how do they do this? How, how do they draw this this this, this one picture and one line of caption, and there's a whole story happening there. And it's funny, and it's just so compelling. How, who are these guys? So that just sort of, you know, uh, that just sort of um, simmered as, a, as, a, um, as an interest. And, and, and so as I, you know, was drawing and drawing and drawing a lot, and, and I discovered I, I had a knack for it. And then when I was at USC, so last year in college, a friend of mine said, hey, guess what, I'm, I'm taking this class from the UCLA Extension course, or Extension School, um, from Eric, Eric Kettlebaum, one of the New Yorker cartoonists, and he's teaching us how to cartoon. And, and then he'd tell me about who the guests were that would come in and lecture, and one of them was, was Lee Lorenz, the cartoon editor at the New Yorker at the time. I thought, oh my God, you know, why am I not in that class? I, I, I'm, this, I'm, I'm missing out. And I thought, well, okay, even though I'm not in this class, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start doing this. I'm gonna start drawing my own cartoons. I'm gonna start submitting them around and see what I could see what see where I could go. And I discovered it was pretty hard to do, but I stuck with it. And um So you're 21, 22 years old? Yeah. Yeah. And I just stuck with it. You know, it's Did I guess you, did you publish in Playboy? No. No, I never did that. Did, did did you recognize that as an influence on your style? What you were seeing when you were that young, did it did it impact the stylistic decisions that you made on what you do? Well, you know, it did. But I'll tell you what was the better, what was the bigger, um, the bigger influence on, and really thrill for me was eventually when I started that business, the one I've described to you, where I was creating mailings for for publishers. Um, I didn't want to just have. I like I like having a group of of thinkers and a group of people who are a stable of people involved in, in what I do. And so, um, so in that business, I recruited a lot of the, a lot of the cartoonists who were my heroes. So, um, so I, so Gian Wilson and Eldon Bedini, for example, the, the two that I mentioned, whose cartoons I was looking at when I was a little kid became part of my, um, part of my group. And 
some of my friends and um, really became mentors to me. Another one was Leo Cullum from The New Yorker. But, you know, Gahan, I'd have dinner with Gahan and tell, he'd tell me these stories of uh, hanging out with Hef. You know, but the, the, the New Yorker is probably, I mean, that that's the top of the pyramid for for, for this type of cartoon where there's this deep message and, and it's funny and it, it, it tells the whole tale in one picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the, the top of the heap, right? Yeah, I would say the New Yorker is. I mean, there are some others. In in um, in England, it was Punch. Punch was, I think that was a, a magazine that was continuously published for 200 years or so and went out of publication. But yeah, I would say the New Yorker is the New Yorker is the top um, the top market. Now, the New Yorker is certain... there. No, I'm not there yet. But I, but I'll tell you though, um, I'm, the cartoon. I'm, Good friends with the cartoon editor, and I should be in there. I'll, I'll be in there soon, I'm sure. You need to send him a cartoon. Uh, oh, I've been doing that. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me stay on this track for a minute because here, sure. here's the thing that I think is really interesting. I think about sales and selling as it, it's a game of resourcefulness. It's hard to get appointments, and we'll get to that when we talk about the book in a minute. And you have to have something that gets attention first. And so you come yeah. up with this idea that I'm going to use this and I'm going to send this cartoon. And it's personalized. And because you see a professionally drawn cartoon, like when you sent me that, and I never met you, we've never had a conversation before, and I see this, I recognize your work because the one paper that I read daily is the Wall Street Journal. Mm. So I recognize the work, and I'm like, this is the Wall Street Journal. I mean, it's a, that, that's what the content looked like yeah. to me. And, 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 of course, it is. I mean, these these your work has been there lots of times. So, um, in fact, I think the one you sent me was in the Wall Street Journal. It was the one you were just talking about earlier. Yeah, I, I think so. So I know, yeah. I know the work, and so immediately you've got my attention, um, w- which is part of the game. But before we get to to that piece, so tell me about the creative process for you. Um, and I I want to think through like you, wh- what's do you start drawing? I mean, I was a songwriter, and I still write songs with uh, my old band, and I know. Sometimes you have a melody, and sometimes you have a line, and sometimes there's a riff. How did how does this manifest? Where you you have this thing that sparks the, the creativity for you? You know what, Anthony? I'll, you know, creativity is pretty universal. Uh, pretty, I mean, going through the creative process is a pretty universal um, experience, except for the fact that we get it driven out of us as well, we go through too. the education process, and they tell us there's only one right answer. And if you get it wrong, you're a failure. And if you can repeat back the things that we told you, you get it right. And creativity is about connections and new ideas and figuring out what what works together. And I think as we get older, not a lot of people draw, not a lot of people paint, not a lot of people write songs. We we lose that and we go on to making a living, whatever that means. Well, you know what what else is true is also our fantasies get driven out of us, our dreams sort of become evacuated from our minds because no, no, now you need, now you need to get real. You're going to be an accountant or you're going to be a, you know, you're going to be a salesman. You're going to be an accountant. You're going to be a manager. You need to come up with a real profession. You can't just write songs. You can't just create cartoons, but it turns out you can, and you can live these dreams and you can't, you can't let those things be driven out of you. Right. I mean, so, you know, the process of, of coming up with a cartoon, I'll bet it's very, very similar to the process of coming up with a song. And I'll bet a lot of the stuff that you come up with happens when you're sort of half awake and half asleep. 
Yes. That yes. sort of that beta zone. I don't know what it is. But for me, it was blog posts. I mean, the idea doesn't strike yes. me when I'm sitting down going, wow, I need an idea. It, it, it's I'm in the shower. I'm in the car. I'm lifting weights. I mean, something. And I'm like, oh, okay, I got to capture that because it, it, it's almost like my, my opinion of the creative process is it's almost like we're antennas and we're picking up some signal that comes in. And, You're right. And you just pick yeah. up the signal when it comes in. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I feel like it comes from somewhere else. I don't know if it's actually mine. Yeah. You know? But but these things, so you know, you'll you'll think for cartoons anyway, you'll think of this this I mean cartoons, and you think about the nature of of humor anyway. Humor is about truth being revealed in a twist. Yeah. Which is why when you laugh at something, you, you when we laugh at things, we're often saying, when you finish laughing, you go, Oh my god, that's so true. It's so like that, or it is like, you know, or I've been through that, or I know someone like that. So there's always this element of truth. And, you know, as a marketing device, sort of coming back to the marketing side of it, as a marketing device, think about how valuable that is. Here's this thing that gets, according to readership surveys, it gets more read or better, it's better read and remembered than anything else in magazines and newspapers. So it gets more attention than just about anything you could put on paper or, in a, or on a screen. Well, this may not be quite true because of video, but but still, you get a lot of attention. And um, and then, you know, when people go, ha, that's great, or that's cool, whatever it is, they're agreeing with your central point. They don't even know it. It's already just, it's just planted. And um, so so anyway, but, you know, so if you're coming up with this idea for a, a cartoon, it's, it usually comes in those sort of half-awake, half-sleep, uh, sleeping moments, and you say, Oh my God! You know, if you had, um, if you had two people talking, I mean, the last, the latest cartoon I have in the Wall Street Journal has these, just these two people talking, and um, you know, it was when everyone was worried about China. I'm, I'm sure they still are, but it was when it was when China was really in the news. They've been really falling, and and you know, if you think back to the last big recession, we were we were hearing about AIG and other companies, GM and so forth, being too big to fail, and so my cartoon was. It was just two people talking, one of them saying, but isn't China too big to fail? <laughs> you know, it should yeah. be. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it just, if you look at it, you'll, you'll laugh because you'll remember back to that reference of the other companies being too big to fail. And certainly China, we'd all be in trouble if China failed, I think. Financially, anyway, we would be. And and so there's truth. There's always truth in it. And, um, and I don't know that that's... I don't know. I think that probably is pretty universal with songs too, with the lyrics. You're writing about things that people say, yeah, I've been through that. That's why it yeah. resonates so much with me. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and that's what all I, I think a lot of, I mean, just not cartoons, but just generally art is uh, is, yeah. is some picture or some view of the truth, right? We're telling stories, aren't we? We're both, we're telling stories. So I'm telling stories through cartoons. You're telling stories through songs. Filmmakers are telling stories through their films. Yeah, writers are telling stories. Uh, we're all telling stories, are where it is. That's it. they're all stories. Do you do you draw every day? Not every day. No, I'll, I'll accumulate ideas, and then um, it's usually on the weekend that I have the time to do it. So then on Saturday and maybe Sunday, I just sort of just pop them out. Do you iterate? I mean, do you do you draw it and then draw it again and then draw it again, or do you because you've been doing this so long, uh, does it uh, does it come out fully fleshed out because you you sort of know what needs to be there? 
Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting balance because in cartoons, if you make the, if you make them look too overly drawn, it's just sort of the mistake that everybody who's starting out makes that they just make it really carefully drawn, and, and that doesn't work. They need to look like something you just jotted down, even though you might have taken hours to do it. They have to look that way. So um, it goes back and forth, and and lately in my drawings, I've been, you know, I'll sketch something out in pencil and then ink it in. And I, I, I try to, instead of eliminating all of those sketch lines, uh, which is what I used to do, um, I try to just keep a lot of those in now so that it does look like it was just, just jotted down. But but I, the, the direct answer to your question is I, I definitely will draw and redraw and redraw some of these because you got to get it right. These, you know, the, the, the composition, where these characters are and how they're reacting to each other and you know, maybe you had one character smiling, but they shouldn't be smiling. You know, I, I just did one um, uh, of of this these two women at a bar, and one of them is smiling this like freakish smile at the other one, sort of has her head cocked to the side, and she looks a little crazy. And the other one was smiling, but I had to change her mouth so that she's just talking. And the caption she's saying to this crazy woman, "Thank you so much for." for liking and repeating everything I say and following me everywhere, you'd be a natural on Twitter. <laughs> it's kind of like, you're really a stalker, lady. You know? <laughs> but on the other hand, that would work. They would really work on Twitter, wouldn't it? Yes. We have weird com com conversations on Twitter. Yeah, in 140 yeah. characters. While yeah. it lasts. So yeah. let, let me move into the book, because this is, uh, it's it's interesting to me that you were able to take this talent that you have and a love that you have and turn it into a, a business, you know, a sustainable yeah. financial business. And your book is called, you know what the name of your book is. I'm saying this for the people who are listening. It's how yeah, to get a it. meeting with anyone. Right. And, how to get a meeting with anyone. <laughs> and in, it is uh, the subtitle, the untapped selling power of content marketing, contact marketing. Um, you reached out to me and you got my attention and you interviewed me for the book. And I know you interviewed, um, I know you interviewed Jeb Blunt. I know you interviewed a bunch of people I know, good friends. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there's a bunch of us in this book. And I, I would have never thought cartoons as being as powerful as a device unless I'd actually experienced it. And experiencing it, I knew that. And it was very easy for you to connect with me because the ask after getting that is really natural and really easy because I've just seen this thing. So I feel like I've got some connection now and it was custom to me, which I think the customization of the message is really uh, one of the big keys. But if you could, and I haven't gotten to read the book yet, so um, I don't have a copy of the book. I'm sure I'm going to get one at some time because I know yeah. I get copies of your books from you and you're thoughtful and I always get cards. So uh, you are a guy who walks the talk and practices what he preached. Um, Tell me about the biggest surprising learning outcomes you got as you researched this book and, and came up yeah. with uh, the, the, the 21 chapters that make up the book. Yeah, you know, great question. And I'll tell you what, what was just mind-blowing about this is that we, I told you about the campaign I did with the, the cartoon print and the letter to the circulation directors and, and VPs. Um, but, you know, eventually what led to writing the book was... You know, I saw what the what my own contact campaign had done, and I, and and for a while I thought, well, aren't I cool? I've got this great device; I can break through to anyone. Isn't that just unusual? And then I realized, wait a minute, I, that's that can't be right. 
you know, people have been, they've been facing this challenge of how do I reach people who are so important to the outcomes I, I'm seeking in my life? How do I connect with them? Because some of them are just hard to connect with. They're, they're, if they're important people, by definition, you know, their lives are very, they're very busy. Their time is limited. A lot of people are trying to get through to them. So they become almost impossible to reach. So what was really the, 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 great, the great discovery in all this was that um, there were a lot of people. I, I'm part of a whole group of people who, a whole community of people out there who've been coming up with just the most brilliant ways of breaking through to important people. And, uh, and really that there, there, there is this hidden form of marketing out there. And, and, and what, as I talked to people about it, nobody really had a name for it. And so I thought, okay, then I'm gonna, I'll just use the one I've been using. I've been using contact campaigns, but I, I coined contact marketing for this. I think what, I've, what we've all discovered together is this, you know, this form of marketing that's been used for years and nobody's had a name for it. And it, we finally get to bring it out into the light uh, to, to, to show these, uh, you mentioned 21 chapters, but there's 20 categories of contact marketing campaigns that came out of these conversations with you and Jeb and um, Tibor Shanto and, and Linda and Laurie Richardson and you know 100 people, 100 people. Dan Walshman came up with this cool idea because, um, as you know, he's I, I think you know that he's also a uh, well, he's many things. He's a he's an extreme athlete. He runs 100 mile races and um, and he's a turnaround specialist. And his process that he described to me for reaching the CEO of distressed companies is. He'll comb the newspapers. He reads the Wall Street Journal, and he's looking for stories of executives that have missed their earnings estimates. And so then he has this beautiful sword made up, made by the same the same guy, the same prop maker who made all the swords for Gladiator, the the, the film Gladiator. And he has this beautiful sword made up. It's engraved with the with the CEO's name, and then it's put into this beautiful fine wooden box. And he includes with it a, a handwritten note saying, "Hey, I know it's." I know it's tough out there. I know it's war, um, and I know you lost a battle here recently. And I just want to let you know that uh, if you ever need any help, we've got your back. And he said he was getting a hundred percent response rate to these to these um, devices. No, it cost him a thousand dollars every time he reaches out with one of these. But if he's breaking through to the CEOs at a hundred percent response rate, he's breaking one of the rules of the universe. You're not supposed to get hundred percent response rates to anything. It's supposed to be impossible, and um, and he's doing it. And I've been doing it. Uh, I don't do it every time, for sure. But I've been doing it with with cartoons as well. And I've been sort of embarrassed to say it because direct marketers have been taught, and that it was it was my milieu. So direct marketers have always been told, you know, that that it's impossible to hit 100% response rates. But what I was describing was I wasn't alone. There are there are several lots of people out there. Not I won't say a lot. But there are people out there who are generating these kinds of response rates from this sort of hidden form of marketing. So I think that's the big discovery is look at this thing that there's a there's a form of marketing that we just, you know, we sort of we don't really we didn't really know about it. We heard stories they're sort of urban legend stories. I think a lot of them. We heard stories of what people have done to break through the really, really important people. But it's never been sort of organized as part of a as a new genre of of uh, of marketing and you and you think about it and it, it does require creativity and resourcefulness and something yeah. worthy of attention i think it requires creativity and audacity mm -hmm. and you know like you've got to just get out there what you want to 
you really want to just impress the hell out of these people. You just, you know, you want to interrupt them because they're 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 being approached by people all the time. So you want to interrupt them and, and have them say, whoa, who is this? Who who sent this to me? Or, you know, wow. And you want to, well, basically, you know, I, I think really what it is is you want to humanize yourself quickly because ultimately whether, whether cold calling is alive or dead, um, whether it's all about social selling now, whatever it is, um, whatever people are saying about selling today, you know, the, the fact remains as, and always, has always been there that people buy from people they know and like yep. and trust. That's right. So how do you establish these relationships quickly? How do you break through? And that's what contact marketing is all about. If you were uh, to give the listeners of this podcast advice as to how to think about this between now and the time the book comes out, and we'll send everybody to go buy the book. Um, they should go buy the book, shouldn't they? In triplicate. <laughs> yeah, that's or, right. or even yeah. more. <laughs> However many copies. Uh, buy it for your friends. Buy it for your family. No, no doubt about it. And Stu will draw a personal cartoon for you for every book you buy. You come and meet me at a signing and I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me, what, what, what do you think the most important lessons that somebody who's thinking about this, I've got to break through to a C-level executive. If you could just sum it up in a couple ideas, like you should think about this and this. Yeah. To get started on how do you do this? Well, I think the first one is everybody, you know, I've been asked who should buy the book. And I start by saying salespeople should buy it because they have to break through to people who are who could become important clients to them. But business owners should buy it because they've got the same situation. They really need to be, they need to be networking with the people who can make their enterprises stronger and bigger. And you think about C-level executives and CEOs, their their networks are critical. To their success, and uh, but then you you might think about just you know anything you want to do in life. Um, it's important. It's critical for us to be able to reach, actually, to believe in ourselves and then do it. Reach out to people who who are important to the outcomes you want in your life. And uh, you know, I'll I'll just say that you know I ended up using just unwittingly. I ended up using one of the techniques that's in the book to meet my wife, um, who was I saw in a magazine. And I said, wow, I just got to meet her. And I ended up meeting her. She, she was from Copenhagen. I had to, it took a lot to, to do this. But, you know, I, I met my wife this way. We meet, we meet people and they're critical to the outcomes in our lives. So, so I think the first thing to realize is that we need that ability to be able to reach other people. And, uh, and we all have probably, let's say, a dozen or so people. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. But you know, a dozen of people or so that if we could connect with them, they would, these people would change the scale of our lives. I mean, the scale of our careers and our businesses and change the outcomes in our lives. We all have people that are, we all have important people out there that we should be connecting with. And I think the next thing though is, um, okay, you're going to, let's say you're going to reach out to one of your heroes. Why are you going to reach out to the, to this hero? What is it that you really need to think about it, not in terms of you, but in terms of them, What's important to them? What are they doing right now? What what's what are they what what are their priorities? What what's it, just really what's in it? You need to really think about what's in it for them, because if what you're going to do is take a little bit of their time and waste it, then you shouldn't be doing that. You just, you shouldn't be reaching out. So you got to figure out what it is that you can bring to them that's of value to them and of relevance to them. And you know, Anthony, I think you really helped. You're one of those that. 
one of the people who really helped me see that because you talked about super qualifying um, the people that you're going to go out, go out and reach. Well, really, you need to kind of super qualify yourself. Yeah. So I, I think another thing that that uh, another lesson from this is that um, in the book, I, I, I one of the chapters is devoted to creating a, a, a VIP makeover on yourself. Um, and so, I, you know, that really pertains to um, figuring out who you are and what what value you bring to these people you want to reach out to and defining it and, and developing it and ultimately developing a, um, a VIP statement. Mine is, it was this thing that you would say, the first thing you say to the that person's executive assistant is, um, hi, my name is, well, my name is Stu Hynek, and I'm one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists. I'm a Hall of Fame nominated marketer and an author, and I have something that I want to send to um, to your boss. Uh, it's a print of a cartoon about him or her, um, and I wanted to make sure it's a surprise to him or her, but I don't want it to be a surprise to you. You're the executive assistant. You need to have things under control, and, and so may I, you know. So you start out, though, with that, with that VIP statement. And, you know, since I'm talking about executive assistants, so many people have it wrong about executive assistants. They're not gatekeepers. Sure, they they keep people out, but their job really is to let, is really to evaluate who's calling and whether this person brings value to the roster. And so you should be thinking of them as, not, not as gatekeepers, but as vice presidents of access or as as talent scouts and give them something to work with that's right yeah it's your job yeah. to justify the reason for that for that yeah it's it is. interesting i'm gonna keep pushing back the book is called how to get a meeting with anyone and the the tips and the ideas are in here from a whole bunch of thoughtful people in addition to Stu. and Stu's thoughtful enough to look at what he did and then go out and say who else can help tell this story so we get lots yeah. of different views of this um, what, what you said though, that's interesting to me, we're going to go a little bit long here, but I want to, I want to touch this point. You talked about your own personal VIP statement and you talk a lot yep. about the importance of confidence and audacity. And, yes. and I think that these are the ideas that make people uncomfortable. They think, well, I might make somebody unhappy or they might take this the wrong way or, or I'm not sure. And, and I, I think that that fear is what holds people back. And so I want to push back onto the creative process again because you draw cartoons. So when you create art, people don't like your art. There's always some percentage of people who don't like whatever yeah. you do. And then when you're doing it for the Wall Street Journal and there's a, let's call it a pseudo-political message. Maybe there's a political message or an economic message, but there's something in there. Half of the people that see it go, that's stupid. And then <laughs> the other half are like, that's brilliant. You know, yeah. and... And you're always going to do that, but you, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and say, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I create value. And you have to have the confidence to have that message to say, I'm Stu Heineck and I've got, I'm a Wall Street Journal cartoonist and I am uh, a nominated, you know, marketing. You've got to be willing to say, I have value to create. And I think a lot of it is where we don't start with a value message. We worry about that. So speak for yeah. just a, another minute, if you would, about have you dealt with that? Like, I'm going to be judged. There's somebody who's going to take this the wrong way, or I'm going to send this to them and it's not going to resonate because I don't yet know them. And I'm not sure how this message is going to be perceived because we do have to sometimes step into the unknown and, and be audacious. Um, yeah. And, and staffing, yeah. 
I didn't get a response from this email, but I sent an email to uh, a guy who we did business with and he went for a really low price and actually was not getting the business results he wanted, but his people wore boots. They had to wear boots on this job. And I sent him a picture of all these boots and said, I've got these boots and I got the feet to put in them uh, when you need them. <laughs> and, you know, he could have taken it wrong. I don't know. But you take a chance because you, you got to get their attention. And I love that. a picture with a bunch of boots, you know, it's like, what is this? So talk, well, talk, talk about fear cool. and stepping through that. Yeah. OK, so, you know, great question. And and um, um, really interesting topic, isn't it? I mean, you know, we all. We won't go anywhere if we don't believe that we're worthy of going somewhere. So you got to believe in, you got to just put yourself, why not? I think when you feel that, if you feel like, well, uh, you know, I don't, I, that's for someone else to do. I think you need to be asking yourself, why not me? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you should, we should be doing that in our life. We should be, we should be, we talked about this a, a, a little while ago about, about fantasies and dreams, you know, and, and I mentioned that I, I met my wife in Copenhagen. Well, you know, I, growing up in the Boston area, I, I thought, you know, I, I, and opening those Playboys, I suppose, and then, you know, the James Bond films and so on, I really liked blonde skin and even women, and there were none of them there. And, and if I was going to go there, I was rather, if I was going to meet someone like that, I was going to have to go there and spend a few months, look around and find, bring someone on. Man, what a great adventure this will be. And I ended up living it, you know, and not only that, but, but, um, the person, the woman I met is, I mean, she's a penthouse cover model. So I, I sometimes I wonder, well, what made me think? This, this interview's gone in just the strangest direction. We started at Playboy. This is a clean, this is a family show, Stu. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> at least I haven't been swearing. So <laughs> there won't be many bleeps. But, you know, um, I'm, you, so what made me think that I was, I was worthy of that? And I, I think here's what all of it is. Because you mentioned audacity. I think what audacity is, it's you having a lot of fun and it being infectious. I think that's what it is. And, you know, when I send, um, I have this new format for, um, for sending cards out. It's this, it's this corrugated, I've never seen anything like it, but it's this corrugated cardboard envelope. Um, actually, let me reach behind me because I have one. I'll, I'll just pick it up. So, so here's what it looks like. And it's got this square window cut out of it. And, you know, it's, it's a quarter of an inch thick. I've never seen anything like this. And, and you can see that you, you, you've got sort of the, the cartoon on the card showing through there. And if you shake it, it kind of makes this noise, you know. And, I, and here's what it looks like on the back. It looks like an envelope. I, I, and, and so, you know, I'm sending these around. I'm having a blast sending them around because I, I've never seen anything like it. I'm sure no one else has, and they're going to be going, oh, who the heck sent this to me? And it's going to get open. It's going to get open. And Email's not going to get open, but that's going to get open. Well, my emails might get open, too. I and mean, I send cartoons on those, too. But but that definitely will, will get open. I, you know, it's just when I call after sending something like that, I'm having fun. So, you know, I, I've sent it to someone. It's likely, because that's what I do. I've sent it to someone I don't know. And... Um, and I have a blast, Anthony, just saying, hi, does so-and-so have an executive assistant I can speak with? Great. And I get connected with them. I feel relieved that I'm being connected with the executive assistant. Isn't that crazy? Because I know everyone's, everyone's got all these 
these theories and these these ways of circumventing them. But I can't wait to to talk to them. I'm a fan of them, and and, and it I'm, works. It does work, and and look at that. I'm in, I'm excited to talk to them. So that's audacity. I'm having fun talking to them, and I think they can sense it. And um, and when I've sent something like that, and I say, "Hi, I'm the guy who sent that thing." Oh my gosh! Yeah, we love that. We pass it around the office. Um, and you know, uh, Ken, who, who you sent it to, he, I got to get him on the phone. I'm having fun doing this. So you know, going back to your question of, you know, that, that audacity might make some some of your listeners feel uncomfortable. Man, get in that space. Then I, I think the best things in life come from getting uncomfortable. You know, I, I, I mean, I once jumped out of an airplane. Actually, I've done it a few times now. But when you jump out of an airplane, um, it is really uncomfortable. That whole point of that whole thing of sitting in the airplane and you, you know what you're about to do. You haven't done it yet. You haven't gone out the door yet. And it's not until you after until after you go out the door that you say, oh, my God, this is incredible. But you have to just push yourself into those uncomfortable places to have those extraordinary results. I think that's what it is. You know, I don't think is if someone says no to me, well, now I know the answer is no. That's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't, it doesn't have any reflection on me personally. Um, it, it's just, I'm not, you know, the thing is, I'm not really interested in the people who are saying no. I'm interested in the ones who say yes and who see the value in it. I'm stopping right there because of the brilliant statement you just made. Thank you for being here. We're going to send people out to your site and we're going to send them to get how to get a meeting with anyone. Stu, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for the honor of interviewing you for the book and for being on your show. I really appreciate it. He is Stu Heineke. You can find him at stuheineke.com. Look for the spelling in the show notes. When you show up there, do buy a copy of How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, Stu's new book, available at amazon.com. I'm Anthony Anarino. You can find me at thesalesblog.com when you go to that site do sign up for the sunday newsletter also visit me at youtube.com forward slash anarino until next time i will see you in the arena